Good morning. Man, it's so good to see you today. In case we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Greg, and I get the chance to serve on staff here at Upward as one of our pastors, and I get the privilege and the opportunity to be able to share God's Word with you today. want to go ahead and put a little plug in. Make sure that you are back next weekend as uh, Pastor Andy, our lead pastor, will be kicking off a brand new series called Breakthrough. Going to be several great weeks of teaching there. Looking forward to what God does through that series. But today, uh, I get a chance to share with you something that, that God's kind of uh, been dealing with me over the last several weeks, kind of been showing me, and uh, something I wanted to share with you guys, I think it'll be good for us as a church as well. So, uh, as we get started this morning, got a question for you. How many of you have ever heard the term GOAT? Uh, not, not the animal, not the animal GOAT, not the bat, not, not that, all right? But the acronym GOAT, the greatest of all time, all right? Uh, that's what that stands for, and oftentimes that'll show up uh, in, in, a, in a bunch of different debates over different things. Maybe we want to know about the greatest of all time when it comes to an athlete or a musician or an artist or something along those lines. And I had this big plan to get started off with today to talk about the greatest of all time, the greatest college basketball program of all time. Um, but because my team lost last night, we're bypassing that completely. We're not doing that at all today. Uh, for those of you that don't know or don't care, uh, Duke and North Carolina played a basketball game last night, and uh, uh, Carolina got the upper hand. Y'all stop that. All right, that's enough. Stop. Nope, 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 nope. I said we weren't doing this, all right? Y'all back that off a little bit. All right, y'all a little too excited this morning, all right? Hey, but, uh, but no, well, I do want to talk about what it means to be the GOAT, the greatest of all time. And I thought maybe, okay, let's do this debate. I think we'll have a better, better uh, a participation on this one. Uh, when it comes to the greatest preacher of all time, I think we'd all agree that that is none other than our own Andy Craver. Yes, 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 all right. Um, y'all make sure y'all tell him I said that, all right? I appreciate that. That'll help me out a whole lot. But no, when it comes to the idea of being the greatest of all time, it's just not regulated to an athlete or different things like that. I think inside all of us, there is this desire to be great in a particular area. We want to be recognized as being the great in something or the best in something. Maybe for you, when you were growing up, you wanted to be uh, the best, you wanted to be the greatest in school, so you tried really hard there. Or maybe you wanted to be a great athlete, or maybe you wanted to be a great musician. Or maybe for you, as you got a little bit older, you wanted to be a great employee, or you wanted your company to be the greatest. Or maybe as you got married or you started your own family, you decided you wanted to be a, a great spouse, or you wanted to be a great parent. You see, whether or not we verbalize it that way, I think all of us have this desire to be great in some way, shape, or form. We want to be recognized as the best. We want to, we want to win the award for something like that. But I wonder about this. Have we ever thought about what it means to be the greatest of all time when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus? Now, now maybe, that's a, maybe that's just not something that we really consider when it comes to being a great disciple. But that was actually a topic of conversation that happened quite a bit during the disciples that were with Jesus. They would have these different conversations about which one of them was the greatest, which one of them had the most success, which one of them was going to be was going to have a higher place of position or a higher place of authority. They would oftentimes get into these little debates, and on one particular occasion, they got so bold as to ask Jesus which one of them was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And as they dove into that conversation, it became very, very apparent that their idea of greatness and Jesus' idea of greatness were two very different things. And I think the same can oftentimes be said uh, as true of us, that Jesus' idea of greatness and our idea of greatness are probably two very different things. And so on this particular occasion, 
When this question is asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus uses it to, be, to bring about a great teaching moment for his disciples and a great teaching moment for us as well. And so for this morning, we're going to dive into this conversation. It happens in Matthew chapter 18. And so that's where we're going to spend our time this morning, Matthew chapter 18. And we pick it up in verse 1, and here's what it says. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, i got to be honest with you. When I first read through uh, these passages, a couple of questions came to mind. The very first question that I thought about was, which disciple asked this question? I want to know which one had the boldness, who had the courage, who had the nerve to verbalize what everybody else was thinking. And for me, it's got to be none other than Peter, right? It's got, it's got to be Peter. Peter's got to be the one. He's all the time being so bold as to ask and to say what everybody else is thinking. He's always the one who's, you know, kind of opening his mouth and inserting his foot. He's the, he's the shoot, fire, aim guy. So in my mind, it's got to be Peter. We don't, we don't know that. Uh, nobody knows that, but that's kind of my best guess. While we don't know who asked the question, we do know that the question was asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then I also wonder, another question kind of came to mind is, is that I wonder what Jesus' body language was like when that question was asked. Like, did Jesus roll his eyes and be like, you got to be kidding me right now. Are we really, this is really what we're talking about? I wonder if he gave the parents side eye, like, shut up. Like, I mean, I wonder, I wonder if that took place. I don't know if Jesus said that, probably not. But I mean, that, that's just kind of where my mind goes. I wonder if... When the question was asked, if there was an immediate awkward silence, like, okay, here we go, <laughs> this is happening. I wonder if immediately after that question was asked, if the disciple wished he could have taken those words back. Whatever the response was, we don't really know. But what I can tell you is that what happened next, nobody would have seen coming. Because in verse 2, this is what we find out. After the question was asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It says this, that Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. So the question is asked, and Jesus doesn't say anything at first. He just kind of looks around. And he sees a random kid standing off on to the side. And he calls over for the kid to come and stand amongst him. So it's Jesus and his disciples, and then a random kid just kind of there. Like, what? What sense does this make us? You know, they've seen Jesus do some, some crazy things, right? They have, they've heard Jesus say some things that made them scratch their head. This would have been one of those moments everybody's kind of looking around saying, what are we doing? <laughs> What's happening? And then Jesus says this in verses 3 through 4. I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If we're one of the disciples at that point in time, we're probably kind of going along the lines of, <laughs> we'll say, what? Jesus, you realize who you're talking to. You're talking to some grown men right here. You're talking to disciples. You're talking to your guys that you called, some guys that have been with you for about two to three years at this point, and you're telling us to become like little children. I imagine this. You go to work tomorrow, and you go to your boss and you say, hey, listen, it's just you and I talking right here. Nobody else is paying attention. Of all the employees that you have, tell me, who's the best one? Who's the greatest? And your boss looks around and finds a random kid off in the corner. Says, hey, kid, come here. Come here. Go stand right here. And the kid does. And then your boss looks at you and says, whoever wants to be the greatest in our company, whoever wants to be the greatest in my company has to be like this little one right here. It makes no sense. Like, this, this does not add up. This does not equate. Uh, we're talking about the greatest, like, I mean, the best. And you want us to become like this little kid. 
What are you even talking about? And what it does is it sets up the opportunity for where we are going to spend our time this morning diving through this idea when it comes to greatness. You see, to be great in God's kingdom, we must become childlike. To be considered great in God's kingdom, we must become childlike. When Jesus said these words, it would have been a turn in the conversation that the disciples would have found very disappointing. You see, during this time period, there was nothing great about children. I'm not talking about your kids, okay? I'm sure your kids are great, fantastic, wonderful little human beings that never do anything wrong, okay? I'm sure that's your kids, all right? But these children, the children during this time period, there was, there was nothing great about them. They didn't necessarily bring anything to the table. They didn't add a whole lot of value. In this time period, a child was a person of no real importance. They were not taken seriously except as a responsibility. In other words, the kids were loved. The kids were taken care of. They weren't neglected, but they didn't add any value. They, didn't, they couldn't go out and earn money. I mean, they didn't bring a whole lot to the table at that point in time. They had no rights or significance apart from their future value to the family. You see, children were someone to be looked after, not someone to be looked up to. And so when the, when the disciples were asking who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, they're looking for somebody that they can aspire to be like. They, they want to be the person that's at the, the top of the chain, the top of the ladder. And Jesus brings about this idea that you must become childlike. And they're left wondering, well, nobody looks up to a child. Nobody, nobody aspires to be like a child. What in the world is going on here? And yet Jesus says we must become like children. And anyone who becomes as humble as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So how can becoming like a child lead to greatness? Well, the first thing that we need to establish is this, is that to be great in God's kingdom, we must become childlike, not childish. Big difference between being childlike and childish, right? When we, when we start talking about the idea of children, we expect them from time to time to act kind of childish. And Jesus is not talking about acting like a child. Now, let's, let's, we all know that children are a blessing from God. Yes, I, I, I love my children. Can't imagine life without them. They bring us so much joy. Love everything about them. But my kids can act like kids. All right? They can be a little immature at times. Yes. They can be a little rebellious at times. Yes. Okay, just my kids. Got it. All right. Now, I'm going to start taking notes from you guys from parenting. All right? Children can be a little whiny from time to time. Yes. Children can throw temper tantrums and they don't get their way, yes? I just described some adults. That's all right. That's all we're talking about right now. All right? That's all we're talking about. Anybody ever been in a public setting of where a child started throwing a temper tantrum? Yes? All right, yes. Anybody ever had your child throwing a temper tantrum in public? Yeah. I, mean, I appreciate that. You make me feel so much better. Hey, I remember one time we were out in public, and I don't remember which kid it was, but one of our kids started throwing a temper tantrum right there in the middle of the store. And I did what any good dad would do in that moment. I started throwing a temper tantrum too. <laughs> My wife was not happy. <laughs> but kids, we expect them to act like kids, yes? They don't, they don't plan for the future. They oftentimes will make decisions simply based upon how they feel in the moment. They're not thinking about how it's going to affect their future, right? We expect kids to act like kids. We expect kids to act childish. That is not what Jesus is referring to. Jesus is not telling us to be childish. He is telling us to be childlike. And there are so many wonderful qualities that we could talk about when it comes to being childlike. But Jesus highlights one of them when he says that we must become humble like a child. Now, 
there are a bunch of words that I would use to describe my children, okay? Loving, sweet, kind, funny, fun. I mean, there's a, the, the list could go on and on and on, but I've got to be honest with you. It's going to take me a long while to get down to the list where I would describe my kids as humble. Kids are not naturally humble. Listen, adults are not naturally humble. Humility is not something that comes naturally to us, and it doesn't come naturally to children. When we think about humility, I'm oftentimes t- taken back to what C.S. Lewis said about humility. That, it's, that it's not, humility is not about thinking of yourself, uh, thinking less of yourself, but it's about thinking of yourself less. Children are naturally not drawn to do that. <laughs> They, 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 they kind of can be a little bit selfish most of the time, right? Kind of thinking about how things are going to affect them. So why is Jesus using the idea that we must become humble like a child? Because Jesus isn't talking about their perfection. He's not talking about how they act in this moment. That's not at all what he's referring to. What he's talking about is their stature in society, and he's talking about their vulnerability, You see, children during this time period right here, they depended upon their parents for everything. They couldn't go out and earn money to be able to help out around the house. They couldn't provide food for themselves. They couldn't provide a home for themselves. They couldn't take care of themselves. If they were left alone without their parents' care, they wouldn't make it. They wouldn't live. They wouldn't survive. Think about your kids and think about how vulnerable they are. Think about the time you brought your first child home from the hospital, okay? You drove 12 miles an hour from the hospital to get home because you wanted to be extra safe, right? When you got home, the house had already been baby-proofed. You had the nursery set up just like it needed to be. And then when you got home and you got, you got the baby inside and got everything secure, you looked over at the baby and you said, hey, guess what? It's all up to you now. You're on your own. Go make yourself some dinner. No, we, we didn't do that because that child depended upon their parents for everything, And I mean everything, right? When it came time to eat, that child needed you. When it came time to have the clothes changed, the bath done, it depended on you. When it came time to make sure they were sleeping in the crib or the bassinet correctly, it was all up to you. When it came time for tummy time, it was up to you. Be put into the swing, taken out of the swing, it was up to you. They were completely dependent upon you for everything. It's amazing what being dependent upon somebody else, how that will bring humility into our lives. A couple of years ago, I had to have surgery on my right hand, and I am right hand dominant. And it was amazing to me, all the things that I used to be able to do on my own that I could no longer do while I had my hand in the cast. I needed help to be able to do just normal, common things. I had to, my wife jumped in, boy, I just depended on her for basically everything. I couldn't get dressed without her help. She had to help me button the buttons. I couldn't cook without her. She had to jump in there to be able to help turn on the burners. I couldn't type on my phone. I couldn't write down notes. I couldn't type on my computer. I couldn't do hardly anything on my own. Things that I was so used to being independent on, being able to take care of myself, I found myself completely dependent upon somebody else. I vividly remember us going out to dinner one night to a steakhouse, and I had ordered me a nice 12-ounce ribeye. Man, it's almost lunch. All right. (laughs) But that that steak came out, and then all of a sudden, I just realized, I cannot cut this steak by myself. I am 40 years old, and I cannot cut the steak by myself. I couldn't even hand her the plate. I had, Daniel had to reach across the table, grab my plate, put it in front of her, and she had to cut up my entire steak for me so that I could eat. 
I had never felt more like a child who couldn't take care of themselves than I did in that moment. Completely dependent upon somebody else to take care of me. It's amazing about what it means and being dependent upon somebody else and how that will humble us and bring humility into our lives. To be great in God's kingdom, we must become childlike in our dependency. In the same way that a child is completely and totally dependent upon their parents. We, whether we realize it or not, are completely 100% dependent upon our Father in heaven. For everything. We are completely dependent upon God for everything. Now here's, here's, here's what I know, right? It's easy for us to slip in and out of that idea that we are dependent upon God for everything. Like, I work, right? I'm, I'm, I'm earning my living. I'm taking care of my family. I'm providing food on the table. I work hard at my job, and it's helped me to be elevated into the company, right? I mean, I do, I do a lot of these things, and so I'm working hard. And maybe we don't really mean a whole lot by it, right? But we can find ourselves oftentimes saying, I, I, I. And maybe we even kind of find ourselves kind of falling into a place where, hey, life's really based upon the choices that I make. And to a certain extent, that's true, right? We make good decisions, good things happen, right? Until they don't. Until they don't. Because we, we may kind of find ourselves living in the illusion that we're in control of things. I control my future. I control where I'm going to go. I control the choices that I make. I control what's going to happen until something we never prepared for happens. Until the job that we work so hard at calls us in and says, I'm sorry, I have to let you go. Until we get a call from the doctor that we never expected. Until tragedy strikes our family. And then all of a sudden, that illusion of control is completely ripped away. And we find out just how dependent upon God we actually are. The idea is this, why wait until the crisis moment? And why not come to that place of recognizing our dependency upon Him right now? Because we are all completely dependent upon God for everything. We depend upon God for His guidance. When it comes to every decision that we make, we need His guidance because we don't know what's coming around the corner. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to play out. We have an idea of what, how we think it should or how we want it to, but we don't know how things are going to go. We need God's guidance for every decision, every choice that we make. We need, God's, we, need God, we need to depend on God for His provision. Oh, it's easy for us to say, I work hard at the job, so therefore I'm going to provide the house and I'm going to provide the food. Who gave you the skill to be able to work at that job? The one that you're dependent on? Who put breath in your lungs so that you could get up in the morning to go work that job? The one that we're dependent on? How easy it is for us to slide into that I do it, I work it, I try hard. We are completely dependent upon God to provide everything that we need. We're completely dependent upon God for His protection. Now, listen, I, I also know about us that man, we like to think and we like to feel that it's our responsibility to care for us, ourselves, and our family, and our loved ones, and our friends, that we would do everything we can to try to protect them, and we do. But what about the things we don't see coming? How can we protect them when we're not around everybody all the time? And even when we are, we know we can't protect them from everything. We can't protect ourselves from everything. For those of you that have been with us for a couple of years now, 
You probably remember hearing a story that Pastor Andy shared about how they were walking, him and Alexa were walking through the woods one day on a, on a nice little hike, and they ran across a bear, right? And they kind of tiptoed their way around, and obviously everything worked out because they're still here. But Pastor Andy's not the only one with a bear story anymore. <laughs> Last weekend, we were up in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and uh, me and my wife, and we had two littles with us, so we were walking back from the convention center to go to our hotel room, and we were walking through the parking lot, and I looked over to the right, and coming out of the corridor of another hotel room is the biggest black bear I had ever seen. And he's walking right towards us. And I'm thinking, okay, this is it. This is the moment. Greg versus bear. So all I can think about in that moment is telling everybody, telling Danielle and the girls, hey, walk faster, walk faster, walk faster, walk faster. Because you don't want to say bear, 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 right? I mean, that's, that's not what you want to say. But the bear's going in the opposite direction, and we're walking to the hotel. But I do have this thought going through my mind. What happens if the bear's coming at us? I know it's going to come as a shock and a surprise to everybody in the room and watching online today, but I'm no match for a bear. I'm not strong as a bear. I'm not fast as a bear. I mean, that bear's going to win that battle. There are so many things in this world that we are no match for in and of our own strength. And we are completely dependent upon God for his protection. The truth of the matter is, is that every single one of us, whether we realize it or not, are completely dependent upon God for everything. Being great in God's kingdom means that we recognize our dependency upon him. And we allow it to humble us and bring us to a place of where we say we are dependent. And we live like we are dependent upon God for everything. Being childlike calls for us to recognize our dependence upon him for everything. And that's something that the disciples missed in this conversation. You see, they were so consumed about their position. And they were so consumed about where they, was, where they were going to kind of, how things were going to shake out and where their power and authority was going to lie. That they were forgetting that they were sitting there talking about their greatness. But it was really about his greatness. It was really about how good he is. And them coming under the idea and the knowledge that they are dependent upon him and his goodness for everything. So what does that look like for us to live that out? What is, what is a dependency on God? What does that lead to for us? How do, we, how do we walk that out in life? Well, a couple of things stand out to me, and it, and it kind of goes like this. A dependency on God, first of all, will lead to childlike belief. A dependency on God will lead to a childlike belief. Man, can I tell you something? Man, our children get something that you and I miss. And that is this, this that as we kind of walk our way into adulthood, as we kind of become smarter, we kind of feel like we got to figure things out. we got to have an explanation. we got to be able to have a rationale for the conversation. And if I can't explain it the way, then I don't know that I can necessarily believe it 100%. Children, believe 100%, no strings attached. You tell them God can do something, and they believe it, and don't worry about it. They don't worry about how it's going to work out. Our, our, I was talking to one of our teachers in children's ministry this past week, and she was telling me about a lesson that they were talking about in children's ministry recently about Paul and Silas being arrested in prison and how God sent the earthquake to kind of help set them free. And so they were talking about that, and, and she asked the question to the kids and said, hey, if you got arrested for something that God had, had told you to do, what would you do when you got in prison? And you might think that they would say, I'd call mom, I'd call dad to come get me out, I'd call the police, I, you know, I'd do something like that. They didn't say that. What they said was, nothing, God will get us out. Well, how? I don't know, God's just going to get us out. 
what would it look like for us as we live in a knowledge of I am completely dependent upon God for everything, what would it look like if, I, if we lived in a childlike belief that because God said it, that because God spoke it to us, because God confirmed it through other people, we just simply believed that he was going to do it? How would that affect us? How would that change our lives? A dependency on God leads to a childlike belief. It also leads to childlike service. One of the things that I love about Upward is that we get a chance to see our children and our students involved in serving every single week. I love during our serve days how we get a chance to see our children getting involved in creating care packages for people, doing yard work, cleaning up school buses, helping to sort clothes at different organizations in our SMPs. I love coming in on a Sunday and seeing our students involved in guest services and children's ministry. I love the fact that my oldest daughter, Hope, is involved in serving in children's ministry during our 845 and our 1145 services. Man, I love that because they get something oftentimes that you and I miss because they don't care about a position, they don't care about a platform, they don't care what role it is. They don't even wait for somebody to ask them to get involved. They just simply step up and are ready to serve because they're ready to make a difference. You and I, oftentimes we ask questions like, well, I don't know that I have the skill for that. I don't know that I'd be any good at that. If they really need me to serve, they'll come and they'll ask me personally. <laughs> what would it look like for us if we lived in a place to where I am completely dependent upon God for everything? that I had childlike service, that it doesn't matter the role, doesn't matter the position, doesn't matter if I have the skill or the talent or the ability, I just simply said, here I am. Here I am. I'll do that. I'll step into that. I can serve there. I can do that. What would that look like for us? A dependency on God also leads to childlike worship. Last weekend, we had the amazing opportunity to celebrate with nine people who went, who went public in their faith through water baptism. And one of our favorite things about water baptism is that our kids get to come down and celebrate with us. And they will come and they will fill up this corner over here and they'll fill up that corner over there. And when they come down, man, they know the songs that we're singing because they sing them upstairs as well. And when they come down here, they're not intimidated by the bigger people in the room. <laughs> they're not intimidated by the size of the room. They're not intimidated by, 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 the, by the lights or the band or the sound. They're not intimidated by any of that. But they come down here and they take that idea of making a joyful noise unto the Lord. They take that seriously. They ain't worried about it their own key. They're not worried about who can see them or who knows them. They're not worried about what anybody's going to say. But they come down here with the idea that worship is not about me. Worship's not about you. But worship is about him. And so I am going to give him my all. Not last Wednesday, Wednesday before last, we had our night of worship to be able to uh, kind of celebrate the end of our 21 days of fast and prayer. And uh, we had our youngest faith in the room with us that night. And Danielle was going to be uh, on stage helping to lead in worship. And I was going to be involved in praying for people. So we just wanted to make sure that we knew where she was going to be sitting at in the room. And she said, Dad, Dad, I want to sit on the front row. It's like, uh, okay, okay, sure, why not? So she sat right here in this chair right here. And periodically, I would get these opportunities where I got to catch a glimpse of her. As she was not <laughs> playing around, she wasn't writing notes or anything like that. Man, she was engaged in what was going on. And then Pastor Andy was gracious enough to snag a picture for me. And I wanted to share it with you um, here on the side screens. That, yes, I will brag on my kid, that is an example of childlike worship. Where I am fully invested to giving praise and honor to my God. Because 
We're not worried about who can hear me in the room. We're not worried about whether or not we can sing because I can't. We're not worried about what it may sound like, or what I may look like, but I am just about worshiping my God. A dependency on God will lead to childlike worship, but it'll also lead to childlike generosity. I am blown away, blown away by the generosity of this church. Man, you hear about a need and you give and you feed it and you give some more. I can honestly say that I've never been a part of a church that gets generosity the way that this church does. I can honestly say I'd, I've never been a part of a church where the children grab a hold of generosity the way that this church does. Last weekend, Pastor Andy invited us uh, to a lifestyle of bold giving uh, and as we wrapped up the uh, Bold Move series. And after one of the services, Pastor Andy had a young man, a little boy that came up to him and wanted to give. And so he came and he handed Pastor Andy a $10 bill. Pretty cool, right? Hold on. The $10 was his birthday money. Children kind of get an idea of generosity that you and I oftentimes miss because we oftentimes will get caught up with, I don't want to be taken advantage of, so I got to make sure that I vet everything, right? Or I got to make sure that I keep enough for me. If I have enough for me, if I have enough left over, then I can, then I can give to somebody else. Children, on the other hand, they give with no strings attached. They're not consumed or concerned with that they're going to get it back or they're going to have enough left over. They give simply because they have it and they want others to have it. What would it look like for us if we lived in a place of complete dependency on God, that everything that we have is because he gave it to us anyways, that we get to turn around and be childlike in our generosity and give? What would that look like? Complete dependency on God for everything as a way of humbling us. Complete dependency on God, childlike dependency on God will lead us to childlike belief, childlike service, childlike worship, and childlike generosity. What is it that God's speaking to you about? And in what area of our lives do we need to become more childlike in? Where's the area that we need to take a step and take the encouragement from a child? I'm not going to be childish, but I need to become more childlike. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? What's amazing to me about this encounter is that before Jesus talked about how to be great in his kingdom, he said this passage that we read. He said, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you'll never get to the kingdom of heaven. You see, before he talked about being great in the kingdom of heaven, he talked about how to get there. We must turn from our sins and become like children, turning to the Father. So for us today, here in this room and watching online, before we take a step towards greatness, the call for us is to surrender. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, you know, when I look at my life, I don't know that I've ever fully surrendered to Jesus. I don't know that I've ever really said yes to Him and to everything that He has for me. 
about the greatness. I want to invite you to surrender. Maybe you've kind of been doing things your own way, and maybe for a while that seems to work okay. God has so much for you, so much more in store for you, if you will simply say yes to Him and to surrender to Him. So today, if you're here in this room, and you'll say, Greg, that's me. I need to fully say yes to Him. I need to fully surrender my life to Jesus. If you say, Greg, that's me. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you. But if that's you, would you raise your hand that this morning so we can pray for you? Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for that. Second question is this before we pray. I wonder how many of us in this room would say, hey, Greg, you know, God's speaking to me. God's speaking to me, and there's some areas of my life that I need to become more childlike in. Belief, worship, service, generosity. Man, there's an area of my life that I need to become more childlike in. And so, Greg, would you just pray for me? Pray for me as I take that step. If that's you, would you just raise your hand where you're at this morning? Yeah. Hands going up everywhere. Hands going up everywhere. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to invite you, if you would, to stand to your feet this morning. We're going to pray with those that are saying yes to Jesus today. I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer with us today as we celebrate those that are saying yes to Him. I'm going to ask you just to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I thank you that you love me and you love me enough to come to this earth and die for me. I admit that I'm a sinner, and I believe that you are the Savior. I confess that you are Lord of my life, and I surrender my life to you. Father, I love you. Now, God, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. I thank you for the ways that you are speaking to our hearts. God, I pray that you would help us to become childlike. Let us recognize our dependency on you for everything and give us the courage and the boldness to take the steps that you're asking us to take as we become childlike. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Once again, thanks so much for being here today. I want to bless you with the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I bless you with those words today, and now we say to go in the name of Jesus. May you be Jesus to your community. May you share his love, his peace, and his grace with all those that you come in contact with. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here today. Make sure you're back next week for the beginning of a brand new series called Breakthrough. See you then.